0: Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The Journeys Behind the Voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new released today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together we will explore those journeys. The journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. This week is part one of our two part interview with Mark Stewart, the founding lead singer of the band Audio Adrenaline. Today's segment explores the early days of this trailblazing band, his musical influences, and his favorite Audio Adrenaline albums. This is Behind the Tunes. I'm here with Mark Stewart, formerly of the band Audio Adrenaline, now a speaker and author with his book out, Losing My Voice uh, to Find It. Mark, thank you so much for being here today, man.
1: Uh, thank you, Austin. It's a pleasure to be here. Can't wait for a, a great conversation.
0: Absolutely. Now, listen, I want to go back to my first encounter with you, which you will not remember, and it is not even a uh, a one-on-one encounter. We've never met in person, but the year is like 1997, all right? uh-uh. And so we're going to (laughs) go, I'm not going to tell you how old I was then, because that's not good for either one of us. (laughs) 1997. And uh, it's the Signs of Life Tour with Stephen Curtis Chapman. All right. Yeah. You guys, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Audio Adrenaline, Carolyn Ahrens come through Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And so the local radio station puts out word that they're going to give away two free tickets and backstage passes to the show. So at this point, I'm a huge Audio Adrenaline fan. I like Stephen Chris Chapman, uh, and so I'm like, cool. I can meet Audio Adrenaline, and so the problem was I'm still in school, so I got to go to school. I set up radios all over my house because my dad uh, was is a pastor, retired pastor now, so he didn't have to go inquires early. So. I set up radios all over the house. <laughs> I put the phone number to the radio station on every phone in the house. I said, Dad, when you hear this, you've got to call the radio station. Now, my dad is not good at technology and that stuff. I had no hopes for this. I get, I all, I get out of school the next, uh, that day. I call. I said, Dad, what happened? He says, I won the tickets. I said, "You no serious? Way. Yeah, he won." So I, I show up. I get the backstage passes. I get these front row center tickets. To this was a this was like a coliseum show, so it was a big show. I get yeah. these tickets, and so we show up. I guess I tell you, I was seventh grade, so I'm wandering in here. I <laughs> got my uh, I got my backstage pass. They were pre show passes. I show them the pass, and the people were like, "Hey, we're really sorry, but we because of a scheduling conflict, we had to cut off the pre show." And so what? I didn't get to go backstage I didn't get to Oh meet you my but, it's, but listen, after a year or two of therapy I, uh, I really <laughs> really got past it <laughs> You now, it was, out That's yeah. right, that's right Now it was a great show I was front row, dead center It was an unbelievable show And so that was the first time we met Without us actually meeting And so I like it That's my, that's my audio drilling story From way that's back That's a pretty
1: ago. good story Yeah, man. I actually remember that show Well, I, um, Yeah, it was in an arena Yep I, I think it was an arena It was um yeah one of my best friends lived in memphis at the time so i remember him actually coming to the show he was a buddy of mine from high school so totally remember the show we went down um it? it's not beale street is it yeah
0: yeah it's beale street yeah yeah
1: yeah so we had some barbecue and yeah yeah i love i I really enjoyed always enjoy going to memphis so well, yeah, next, I totally remember that concert.
0: Ne- next time you're in town, you barbecue on me, man. So we'll. Oh, get let's up. do it. The show was actually in. Uh, it was in a place called the Mid South Coliseum, which is now completely defunct and empty, and they can't decide what in the world to do with it. But it just sits oh there, gosh. and so every once in a while, it pops up in the news to try to figure out uh, uh, what was going on. So, well, so you you've had you know you, I guess 20 plus years in music. Um, what what got you into music first, growing up?
1: Well, um, my dad was really into music. He was a musician. Um, he loved Southern gospel music. So he would listen to like Bill Gaither and gospel quartets and stuff like that from back in the day. <clears throat> and he actually had a gospel quartet. Uh, and my brother and I just started to sing and play instruments. My brother, he he started to play piano and, and I started to play drums. And from there we started bands and, you know, eventually we were introduced to Christian rock music. I heard a band called Petra. Oh yeah. Uh, and one of my, one of my close friends, he wasn't a Christian at the time. We went to a Petra concert and he literally got saved. Just like came to know Jesus at a Petra concert. And, and that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. I'm like, Hey, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do this. It was, became a dream uh, for me to do Christian music at that point, but I thought it was a long shot. You know, I was like, eh, it's that could never happen. You know, to be a professional musician. But it turned out that that's that's what God had in mind. And and but early days was my dad, my brother, and Petra kind of got me started.
0: That's what that's what I always love to hear, especially with musicians, um, to find out like who was that person? You know, that that really um, I guess ignited that that dream in you. Uh, because that's what it is. Like, has to start there. It's it's not something we just kind of wander into one day and and get a degree. We begin to dream it, and so so your so your dad was huge um, into that. Would y'all do? Would y'all perform together sometimes? Would you ever do
1: anything with him? Oh yeah, yeah. We we've been singing at church with my dad a lot. Um, I would play drums uh, for his band, you know, on and off. But my brother right. and I, we we started our own. A musical group, and that started to take precedent over, I guess singing with my dad at some point. <laughs> and you know, my dad was a pastor, so he had he was busy and he was just like, yeah, you guys gonna do this. We went to college. Uh, my 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 brother was two years older than me, and I was going to the Air Force Academy to really be a a okay. pilot uh, but I decided to go to one year of Bible college and it was there. That audio adrenaline really was formed in the first week of my freshman year of college. I met all the principal kind of musicians of the early uh, band of audio adrenaline. And it was just a divine moment. And it kind of took off from there.
0: I think people don't realize. Um... I love what you put there for it's a divine moment where where god brings these talented people together because i think people sometimes think that you just roll out of bed one day and you just stumble into a group of guys that um or girls or whatever that then you just form a band and then anybody works but it really is like it takes a this chemistry um it takes a one almost one heart one vision to really make this dream a reality and so i, I love always hearing like how did a band form and, and how did this come to be? Because again, like to me, it, it just shows God putting things together. Now that was in Kentucky when you were in college, right?
1: Yeah. Kentucky Christian college. It's now called Kentucky Christian university, but I still call it KCC, uh, Kentucky Christian college. We only had 450 students in the whole uh, college, but Barry Blair, our guitar player, Will McGinnis, who was, played bass all the way through Audio Journal. And even after I left and uh, Kevin Max took over, Will was kind of the foundation as the bass player. We all met there at college. And, uh, you know, we we made two full-length records as a band called A180. Um, And then we became friends with DC Talk even before Audio Journal was even born. Uh, Toby was taking our demos to Nashville because he thought we were pretty good as a live band. But we never got a record deal at all uh, for five years Um, until our last, our four years, our last year college. I'd taken a semester off to live in Haiti. And so it kind of stretched out over five years, four and a half, five years. And then we actually made a demo under the name of Audio Adrenaline to, it was a rap metal mix, which was horrific, and that's how we got a record deal. So we we got signed on a on kind of a basically a prank uh, song that was kind of a joke, uh, and the label was like, "That's what we like. We like this because it was out of the box, you know." Right. And they were looking for a new version, kind of a heavier version of DC Talk. So we had to make a big decision. We're like, do we want to take this record deal offering and make it work? Or do we want to stick with what we're doing as this rock band called A180? And long story short, we went for it and some of the guys in the band left. My brother quit. The drummer quit. So we ended up in Nashville with myself, a lyric writer, Bob Herdman, who kind of came up with the the name Audio Adrenaline and our bass player and a guitar player. And that's... That's how we started. Uh, we had to recreate our whole sound, and it took us a while to get it, to get it figured out. To be honest with you,
0: what was the what was the name of the song?
1: It was called "My God." Now,
0: um, was that on the first album, the Audio Drilling album? It was.
1: It was. It. It made it onto the first record, and you know that record was so, eclectic. Is not even close to being <laughs> as dynamic or as wide, uh, you know, as artistically. As that record was, it was just insane because the label was like, "Just go write stuff with the drum machine. Go combine all kinds of music and see what you come up with." And we're like, "Okay." It was like going to it was like going to college or something, or, you know, like an, a laboratory experiment and see what you can come up with. And that was what the first record was, and you know, it wasn't that great of an album, uh, but it sold okay. It kind of kept us around just enough to make a second record. But I think really what kept us from getting dropped was our live concert because we had been touring forever. We knew how to put on a concert and we knew how to entertain people and we could speak well. And, you know, I think people liked our live show enough that the label, uh, in addition to some, uh, I, I guess, some politicking from Toby Mack decided to give us a second chance at a record. And that's when big house happened which was kind of our career making so all
0: right right now i i did not know about that first album audio adrenaline um and the style that it was until i was getting ready for this interview and so i went and listened to it and it blew me away it, it really was like you said it was it was like it was harder than dc talk but but it, but it felt a little bit like dc talk were they were they a big influence for you guys
1: in, in a way um You know, prior to us coming to Nashville, I would say they they really weren't an influence because we, you know, our influences were more rock bands, like, you know, and pretty wide from, like, 80s, you know, metal, like, to The Alarm or U2, stuff that was coming out of Europe. And, you know, some of the alternative bands coming out of California at the time, uh, even Christian bands. Um, But... Yeah, once we got to Nashville, the label was so intent on helping us or making the next version of DC Talk. That's kind of how we became more influenced by them. Now later, you know, over the next over the the three years, kind of after the three or four years, DC Talk had a big influence over us in in terms of how they toured, their integrity, their commitment to. You know, having a road past there was a lot we learned from DC Talk, from showmanship early on Music musically. Um, it was just straight rock and roll until the label stepped in and said, we want you to follow the foot, uh, the, the, the trail of DC Talk uh, to combine different music. Uh, DC Talk was rap, rock, and soul was what they said. But we were more like, I don't know what it was, like <laughs> metal like dance music and hip hop and all of that was a kind of a disaster for us on the first record. Uh, And then we, we actually wrote big house and I was like, this song is goofy. I I wanted to not even put it on the record. And my dad for one, one of the people was like, Hey, this is your hit song. this is a great song. Um, People are going to love it. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) And then that song took off and was like, mind blowing what happened but what was cool for us is that was a guitar riff based uh song so yeah it was kind of like what was happening in the early 90s with bands like the red hot chili peppers and bands like the spin doctors where where we could actually be a guitar band and not really a like a metal you know like a rootsy rock and roll guitar riff band not a metal band, not electronic, uh, not a hip hop band. So Big House opened the door for us not only in record sales, but creatively allowed us to go back to our roots, which was important.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating to to go back and listen to that first record. And if you're listening to the show right now, I do. It, it's out there, and so I do. I'd encourage you go find it and listen to it. Oh, well, I would encourage it. you
1: not to go. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Every <laughs> so band don't has listen to that.
0: Every band has that record. It's like, yeah, that, that doesn't exist. I have somewhere. I still have like 900, uh, uh, uh physical copies of an album that in my mind does not exist. It's just laying around. I want to, I want to go back just to, for a second on something. Um, you said that you guys were a band for in essence for almost five years before you were signed to the record deal. Um, in many people just see you once you get on the big stage, once you're in the big lights, once you're on the tour buses and all those things. Um, but for, for me, I always love to go back and say, all right, was there a, th- th- was there a story that you think of uh, on those early days? Because, again, nobody knows about the number of times that we go out and, and drive 400 miles for 50 bucks and, and three pizzas. You know, is there yeah. is there any times that you look back that if you and the guys were around right now, you, you, you would be like, do you remember that time we played this thing right here?
1: Oh, my gosh. I could talk all day about <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, we literally we played for five years straight trying to get a record deal and we would take every show possible. We played on top of a picnic table once (laughs) out in a, in a park. I'm like, they're like, they were supposed to have a stage, you know, like a flatbed pickup truck or a flatbed uh, trailer. And we get there and all they had was two picnic tables pushed together. Um, (laughs) We've, we've done just about everything. Uh, We've played in the basement of churches. We, we played in Grundy, Virginia, which is like the, one of the most conservative places in America in terms of the church. And, you know, I remember these elderly ladies that stopped our show and yelled at us for having rips in our jeans at our knees. And well, yeah. it, I mean, we were picketed. <laughs> we were boycotted. Um, everything you can imagine we've done, you know, and, and we played. You know, also overseas. Early on, we would do concerts from Poland and Germany with churches. But well, the cool thing, though, was that God was always—he showed up uh, faithfully, even in the smallest shows. To you know, these huge arenas, we we could see God at work, which was cool, and which kept us going. But man, we had some crazy times. You know, we lived off of giving plasma in Nashville for the first. 18 months we would donate our plasma <laughs> every two weeks you could get 25 dollars and our our keyboard and lyric guy was like uh, he was gonna try to sneak back and and donate once every like once a week by wearing sunglasses and trying to get a fake id <laughs> did that work no he, he we talked about it okay. day. oh my gosh
0: you it was die. just brutal
1: yeah yeah we We worked in Antioch, Tennessee. We all waited tables and gave plasma. And just kind of, you know, our first tour was with the Key and a van. We had a van that was uh, Will purchased. Will was our bass player. He's also an eternal optimist. (laughs) This van was in the backyard of this guy's house and he was using it as a doghouse. Oh, wow. Um, So it was wall to wall carpet. He had no seats. We had to put two seats in front and we just laid on the floor. After we spent two days vacuuming the dog hair out of it,
2: oh, wow. that was
1: our first fan and had holes in it, and no heat. And we went on tour with the monkey up in the Canada, about froze to death, <laughs> and we weren't getting paid at all. Um, then we we toured with Jeff Moore in the distance. You might remember oh, those yeah. guys if oh, you're yeah. old enough. And they said you're going to get paid fifty dollars a night. And we're like fifty dollars a person. They're like no, f- fifty dollars for the whole band. And We're like okay. <laughs> But at least we could ride the bus. But then there's a catch. We were the bus drivers and we were the sound and light crew. Really? So, yeah. So we each guy paid $12 and 50 cents per show to drive the bus, which was an airport shuttle bus with bunk beds in it, and set up the sound and lights. And we did that uh, for for 55 shows, at the end of which I had walking pneumonia.
0: Oh, wow. Because
1: we didn't sleep. Um so now with with the coronavirus coming out, man, I'm like super susceptible because I've had pneumonia a few times. So I'm like all hunkered down. But man, we've been through everything, but it it all changed when Big House kind of came out and then all of a sudden we we started open for DC Talk and we just it, it, one hit song can change everything for a band and that's kind of how the industry works. What
0: was it like, I guess? Was it was almost shell shock to go from um, riding around in a van with holes in it or being the Sound and Light crew on the tour making $12 a night and then suddenly, bam, what feels like overnight to everybody else is not overnight to you, uh, clearly. What was it like just in that w- immediate transition to holding a van to, wow, we're with DC Talk and the Newsboys?
1: Um, You know, it we really couldn't tell that big of a difference uh, at first because we're still at that point. We had bought a U Haul truck and we'd built bunks in it, right? So, up until the free at la- our Jesus free tour, we still toured in our hand built rider truck. Wow. At that point, we had upgraded to rider. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, it, it was a gradual thing. We saw the record sales increase, but it's still a slow increase in terms of, you know, what you're doing live, you know, because the first thing you do with any success, you get invited to be the opening act on a bigger tour. And when you're the opening act, you still really don't get compensated that well. I mean, you can pay your bills, but it's not like you're, Oh my gosh, we hit the lottery or something. You're just kind of barely surviving, but you're watching this kind of grow. And then the, the coolest part was when we eventually got on tour with, with DC talk um, you know, there were nights where there were thousands and thousands of people, not hundreds, but thousands of people that, you know, like, you know, you were playing in front of maybe eight or 10,000 people and you start the guitar riff to big house Mm -hmm. and you see 10,000 people just come to life. That, That was the coolest thing. It really wasn't this overnight, financial success or business success but it it did feel like almost overnight people knew that song which was pretty phenomenal we had no idea what that meant and what that was going to open up to us at the time we were just like enjoying the ride you know but for one moment to to be able to play a song and have you know eight or ten thousand people sing it back to you when you know a year later you were no one even knew your name. Yeah. It was pretty pretty crazy. Um, but you know, when you got back in your rider truck and you had to pee in a Gatorade bottle because <laughs> you don't have a bathroom, it kind of helps keep you grounded. It keeps
0: you, <laughs> keeps you humble
1: real fast.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, man, that's unbelievable. I love it.
0: Well, we're here again with Mark Stewart, uh, one of the founding members of the Band Audio Adrenaline, and now speaker and author with his book out, Losing My Voice to find it and this time we're going to take a few minutes and let the people reminisce and hear some of these old audio adrenaline songs
1: sounds good
2: Hide. I don't know if you live with friends and who you can confide. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football, a big, big house, it's my father's house, a big, big house with lots and lots of room. My
1: father's
0: house. And we're back here with Mark Stewart, formerly of the band Audio Adrenaline, now a speaker and author with his book, Losing My Voice to Find It. And we've heard just unbelievable testimony uh, of God's grace, God's uh, sovereignty, and His power. Uh, where he's always with us, it's always working. Uh, Mark, just for these, these last couple of segments, I want to, to dive into a couple of things. Do you remember the first album you ever bought?
1: Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a 45. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so a 45 is vinyl, and it, it's uh, I think it plays at 45 RPM, so it's a smaller record. Um, I think that's how that works. I'm not even sure, but I had the Jackson Five.
0: Yeah, it was probably
1: nineteen, maybe seventy four. I'm an old dude, man. So I was like six. My brother was eight, and we listened to ABC one two three by Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five.
0: Now, were they were they big influences on you? Just kind of musically, as you're kind of getting into music, were you singing them all the
1: time? Oh heck yeah, Jackson yeah. Five was amazing.
0: Well, who who were some of your other influences growing up musically?
1: Well. And there was a ton. But back in the 70s, you know, it was like Elton John. We listened a lot of Elton John in uh, the Jackson 5. We listened to... <laughs> I'm going to get in a lot of trouble by doing all that. No, you're good. We listened to Queen. Yeah. Uh, Van Halen, you know, back in the 80s. You know, when Eddie Van Halen started playing, I don't think they get enough credit. I think Eddie Van Halen is, is a genius. Um, like, you know, I, I love all that scene. Um, But then, you know, when U2 hit, started listening to U2, um, I love the police. Um, I, I, you know, we liked Guns N' Roses. I like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all that stuff. But early on, it was, in in Christian music, it was, you know, gospel music. And then when, when we first heard, like, Rust and, Mm -hmm. Bands, you know, Whiteheart and stuff like that. That really blew my mind, DeGromo Key. But probably, maybe the biggest influence for me vocally was Rustaf. Yeah. And uh, he's pretty much a vocal legend for me. If you ever can go back and listen to Rustaf, Rustaf. I mean, I liked him with The Imperials. He had a killer voice. But when he started to do his own stuff, it was just... For me, it was like, this is the coolest stuff on the planet. Christian or non-Christian, this is the best singer I've ever heard. Yeah. And uh, I loved that. I loved Amy Grant, too. Uh, her Lead Me On record I thought was monumental, and I, I listened to that. So really, maybe Rust that though, was probably the pinnacle for me.
0: Okay. Now, you're back on the stage. If you could open for anybody, dead or alive, open for anybody dead or alive, who would you pick?
1: Wow. To open—that's a—that's an interesting question um, because you're playing to their audience, um, so it'd be challenging. I would, I would probably say, the Rolling Stones. All right, yeah. If I could open for anybody, it would be, because I, I like Mick Jagger on stage. I think was amazing, and they're—they're kind of like what we were. They're a a rock and roll band that just, you know, it's not a particular genre. It's just rock and roll. And I loved uh, what they would do live, so I'd like to open for the Rolling
2: Stones.
0: Now, you, you, uh, you know, after seeing you guys live numerous times through the years, that was, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, your live show, your live energy was one of the things that set you apart. Was there somebody even from a performance standpoint that you kind of modeled yourself after on the stage?
1: Yeah. Mick Jagger. Yep, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. All right. That
0: was my guess. And that's what I wanted to ask. That's what I thought you were going to say.
1: Yeah. I just love the way he, I don't know. He just exploded on stage and just, it was electric. And there wasn't one person in the stadium that felt like he wasn't talking or singing to them. Yeah. So that, that was the key to me was, Hey, we're here to have a good time. We're here to, just connect emotionally. Let's get it on. Let's do it. And I, so that was probably the one person that, that I like to, you know, I guess be inspired from live and make.
0: Well, when you said the and you said the Rolling Stones and here, I said I bet that's who it is. That's what I had. To, I said I got to follow up. I said I got to know if that's the if that's the one that really uh, influenced. Yeah, them there. that's it. That. All right, favorite audio adrenaline album. You had to buy one. Which one would you buy? <sighs>
1: That's a tough one.
0: It's kind of like picking your favorite child, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> hard. <laughs> Can't do that. Okay. Um, no, I would, I would probably say Lift is my favorite top-to-bottom album from Audio Journal. Um, it, it doesn't have the most hits on it, but I think production-wise, I think the art, art artistically, and there's enough good, Pop songs on there to make it a hit record, but it's also got some killer artsy introspective. It's just a really good package of audio drama, a full package. So, Underdog is great, Zombie is really interesting, Bloom is purest, but I think uh, lift is the full. The full package. So right. that would be my favorite.
0: Yeah. Completely fair there. All right. Now we know your least favorite would be Audio Adrenaline, the first album you put The first one, yeah. We, we won't speak of it. So don't go look it up. Yeah. That, now, that does not exist.
1: <laughs>
0: now, do you have a favorite song to play live?
1: Golly, there's a bunch. You know, Big House is still a lot of fun. It just makes people want to dance and yeah. have a party. Ocean floor, just I don't know. It it just undid an audience from a spiritual standpoint. Yeah, and I love that. Um, but we're a band was always my favorite when it came on the set list, and you're like, it's next. It was just, oh my gosh, it was just the crowd would come unhinged and. It, It was the perfect BPM at 101 beats per minute, or 100, I think, somewhere there. It was the perfect bounce, so the whole audience would just be bouncing and moshing. And and we all just kind of collectively sang that Jesus was bigger than what you could ever imagine, and he was more rebellious than you could ever think, and he was the ultimate rock and roll rebel. And when that song came on we all just stood back and was in awe of the celebration of this Jesus freak. Cause that's what that first lyric was about. That was, and that came out before Jesus freak, by the way, yeah. um, they stole it from you. Yeah. Those suckers. <laughs> um, but that song was about the, who Jesus was as a rebel, as a freak and how we, we were to follow suit with our music and our lifestyle and that, that, That song just, it was complete mayhem when it came out. I love singing it.
0: All right. There's few things like live music. And so many great things happen, but there's always something goofy that happens along the way. Do you have a most embarrassing moment on stage that you can remember?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't On stage... I really didn't get that embarrassed on stage um, for any. I should be. Let's put it that way. I should have been embarrassed by some of the outfits I wore. Let's just say that. <laughs> One time, I, on the we were touring with Mercy Me and the Worldwide Tour. I had black and white pleather pants <laughs> that I thought looked like Mick Jagger. So I'm like, that's what Mick would wear. So I'm like, I don't wear that. But now when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I look like the guy uh from the Rocky Horror Picture Show or something—it's terrible. <laughs> or Beetlejuice—I look like oh, yeah, Michael Beetlejuice. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College, a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. And you can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go behind the tunes.